<laughs> Why don't you introduce your first choice? There? I don't know if the you ab- like absolute not a gimmick. Absolutely not a gimmick. <laughs> are you being facetious here, or I uh, am being you entirely are. Okay, I, I facetious? Wasn't in, I wasn't entirely sure. <laughs> Come on, let's hear it. It's a great gimmick. It's now one of the ups- best gimmick. Um, you're you're upsetting me. This is not a gimmick record. Okay, this is the William. Well, let's yeah, let's have a listen first. This is the Williams Fairy Brass Band Voodoo Ray. Get, believe you called it a gimmick record but anyway <laughs> so, it's from an album called acid brass isn't it yeah it's the standout cut from acid brass. i mean it's but... it's a concept album surely <laughs> well the different there's a fine line between concept and gimmick that's true but we should true. make a note for that when we talk yeah, we are going to yeah, do yeah. we're planning a whole series where we're going to go back into the <laughs> 70s and talk more about rock and what's happening in europe and britain and things like glam rock and that's a really interesting distinct it's a really interesting question is because i think you know the the sort of the punk post-punk critique of the concept album was partly that it, it partly did have to do in some sense that it was a bit i mean it's usually framed in terms of the idea that it's overblown and it's too intellectual and it's too ambitious but i think there's a sort of flip side to the to the sense that it can just become sort of gimmicky it just becomes a shtick so there is um yeah, anyway, this is the Williams Fairy Brass Band. It was 1997, and it was a project. The it was the idea of Jeremy Della. It was Jeremy Della, with whom I've done a talk at the World Transformed a few years ago, and who made that fantastic sort of documentary based on him, partly about him teaching the history of rave to a group of school children. Right, right. Well, so this about- is the- sorry. Go on, go on. Well, Jeremy, Den, he also he's famous for this big performance art piece he did about Orgreave, about the you know the big battle between police and miners during the 1984 miners' strike in Yorkshire in Britain. Mm, mm. So he's he's been really interested, like throughout his career, in the sort of affinities between the, the traditional working class, ra- politically radical culture of the northern industrial towns in Britain and rave culture. And especially sort of early rave. And this was like one of the ultimate culminating expressions of that idea, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Well, so the album itself is, uh, as you say, it's like this. It's um, a cover. It's covers of 10 acid house anthems. Uh, and it's recorded by the Williams Fairy Brass Band. The, this is a brass band that is uh, based in Heaton Chapel in Stockport, Greater Manchester. So in the north of England for uh, listeners who are not located in the UK or don't know any of the names that we've just just mentioned now. So, yeah, and obviously uh, it probably hardly needs mentioning that Voodoo Ray was this extraordinary record uh, rec- uh, recorded by a guy called Gerald, um, which I'm pretty sure came out in 1988. Um, I think so. And um, it was, the, it was the, the sort of, you know, so-called acid house anthem um oh, one of the, one of the key ones anyway at the hacienda in manchester um i did happen to stumble into the the hacienda during the peak of this this period uh once uh during that summer of 
1988. So um, there's a pretty good chance I was actually listening to it unless it was re- uh, released uh, after the summer. I do uh, always remember that evening with with a lot of clarity, if not all the records I heard, definitely some of them. But um, everything sounded as if it came from the future that night. And certainly, you know, Voodoo Ray is the, is uh, one of the, you know, the most iconic and f- futuristic and compelling sort of house records released that year. It's one of these records that's to, to still sounds absolutely incredible to me. Fantastic uh, record, yeah. Yeah, it just hasn't just hasn't aged at all. When the time comes, we will have a lot to say about Manchester in the late eighties and nineties, and well, in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. But the way in which you know, the sort of fetishization of Manchester as the home for very tradition, self-consciously traditionalist guitar rock like in the 90s was a quite deliberate reaction, I think, to the fact that, well, actually, man, at, this mo- at that moment in the late 80s, Manchester was the place when Guy Called Gerald and 808 State were putting out the only really good like British, British kind of interpretations of this emergent of techno and acid house kind of instrumental dance music sound like other people indeed other other recording artists were trying to do it and they mostly did indeed sound like sort of gimmick records what people would do people like klf and even sort of psychic tv people like that were doing but it was really and um you know the early efforts by people like paul oakenfold danny rampling weren't particularly inspiring but the people who really found a distinctive musical vocabulary that was you know building on what was coming out of detroit and chicago it was these guys it was it was 808 state in manchester and above all mm. a, guy, a guy called gerald mm. a guy called gerald, he's, he just he it's just he's one of the i mean in in half the countries in europe like gerald would be like on a state pension for his contributions <laughs> to, to music culture he would he's just, mm. yeah, he'd be like a national he would be seen as a sort of national treasure as as regards, as opposed to this fairly obscure figure, Gerald Gerald Simpson, Gerald Simpson, yeah, Gerald Simpson. They went on to become a, a important drum and bass producer as well. Absolutely, yeah. And that whole um, his his debut black is it Black Secret Technology? Black Secret or, Technology, or, yeah. just best, like best also, album title. Uh, and it's also like one of my favourite drum and bass albums uh, as well. Yeah, he's he's very kind of uh, he's. I mean, he does this great thing of he's quite uh, progressive and conceptual. Uh, has you know an ear for sort of strangeness, but and com- as well as compelling rhythm. And there's something about a lot of his contributions that uh, do have this sort of timeless, timeless quality. But this idea that acid brass, it was such a kind of unexpected thing when it happened. I mean, it came out in the late '90s, so it's about ten years after the moment of music that it was celebrating. And it was it was a brass band doing interpretations of classic tracks from that time including tracks by 808 state and a guy called gerald and the one everybody always remembers is is this vo- version of voodoo ray because it just seems to work so well <laughs> it seems it's interpret it's reinterpretation as a sort of brass band march like just sort of works and it is uh and the and the brass band is yeah it, it's it's Chris, it's very Christmassy exactly well that's one of the kind of the uh, but this is what i was going to ask you i mean i don't know if it's is it is it particularly Christmassy? Because it's also just something that you I, you associate, I would associate with like working class community, um, and it's obviously it's very communal, it's very participatory. Uh, you know, the brass bands are big. Um, there's you know they're often they're quite often walking um, as they're playing as well. So there's something about this kind of collective communal movement. Um, that goes into the brass band that, gives, that establishes some sort of 
slightly improbable affinity with the dance floor maybe uh i don't want to push that one too much no no i think that's definitely true i mean we should i mean we should explain for again for listeners who might not have grown up in in the uk or just might not know this the brass bands meaning a fairly large a sort of orchestra of maybe between 10 and i don't know 20 30 instruments or all of them brass instruments you know, was became uh, in the sort of from the sort of mid nineteenth century, I think, an institution of working class culture in the industrialising and industrialised regions, places like parts of Wales part, and the north of England in particular, and it really became a central feature of life, especially in mining communities. That people, it would become a major creative outlet for people, usually men who were working in these communities. And it was also a sort of sign of a certain degree of respectability and status that you could afford a brass instrument and you had the discipline and leisure to learn how to play it. I mean, I think that obviously the thing about the brass band as I was growing up is it always sounded uh, plod, you know, like sort of plodding. The percussion would be a little bit, would be on the plodding side. There'd be something, you know, I mean, I'd also... You know, there was a period when I was spending more time in Italy and going to a fairly small town about a year and a, a year and a half, a, an hour and a half outside of Rome in the Lazio region, a place called Caprarola. And they would have their, there'll be an annual, you know, I forget what the annual festivity was. Well, it was a saint day, actually, that the, of the, of the, that the town was associated with, I think, um, or, the, or some harvest, harvesting of some crop that was local to the town. But anyway, there was a day in the year, usually came, I think, towards the end of the summer when, but every town had its own different day in the year where everyone would gather and, you know, there'd be a big kind of street celebration. And, you know, there would be kind of brass bands uh, at this kind of, at this kind of event and witnessing them they always seemed to be there was something a little bit dead about the music that was coming out or the, they well it's victorian marching music yeah and it didn't seem to be very kind of it didn't bring they didn't seem to be having a particularly good time necessarily <laughs> no, but <laughs> but there's no reason they shouldn't be having a good time <laughs> and i suppose the reason i like this voodoo ray or the fairly the williams fairy brass band is because you think they i think they're actually you know they're doing quite it's quite interesting and they're and they're well they're obviously drawing a very important emotional connection as well between you know progressive kind of acid house which did take off particularly in the north of england and historic working class communities it ties into northern soul it's you know yes these, it's true all of these things i mean the classic repertoire of the marching bands in the states and the brass bands in britain is is Sousa, the 19th century composer who, who composed marches and they are they are technically they you know they are called march they're referred to as marches they're they're based on they they're based on well, they are if explicitly military forms of composition. And, I mean, they're composed in such a way that they're very easy for a large group to play together, mm. relatively speaking, mm. um, in, a, in a sort of corporate fashion, a bit like soldiers in an army. But they're also supposed to be, you know, easy to march to, literally. So they are – so, so and um, it, you're right that it's interesting because I remember no, I remember noticing – that in say like classic like children's literature from the Victorian or Edwardian period, brass bands and you're right they, it would there was no particular association with Christmas. They would be talked about as playing in parks or playing at parades, and they're always and they're associated with gaiety and joy. So evident, I think it is clear at some point like people would hear this 
uh, as kind of joyful music or to us to, without 21st century ears sounds plodding and arrhythmic but you know I, I can imagine how in a culture where the entire 20th century of music and especially the Afro-diasporic influence on it just hasn't happened yet then actually the brass band with its kind of the Sousa march with the sort of pumping bass notes of the you know the sousaphone you know those really big heavy instruments I mean it, that's the nearest you're going to get to sort of lively music because the alternative is you know the, the alternative is like 19th century string based or orchestral music romantic orchestral music so I can understand why like for those audiences for those people it would seem really sort of energized and it's loud and it's you know it's brassy literally and it's and it's relatively rhythmic compared to what what other stuff you might be hearing but obviously yeah you're right and of course the whole that this is the whole concept which Della put into practice the idea that well it should sound that way and it doesn't really the classical repertoire doesn't sound that way to us anymore so let's put let's let's get a different repertoire and make it work so it is sort of genius actually so have you changed your are you, are you are you changing your original opening line that this is just some sort of a musical cliche then? <laughs> well, I said gimmick, gimmick, was gimmick. The, yeah, uh, well, yeah. It's, there's no question it's a gimmick, but it's a oh. very good one. It's a really good. <laughs> All one. right, a good. No, gimmick. It's, an, it's an inspired concept. You're right. It is a concept, and it's inspired, and it was brilliant. And I think I should say as well, people will probably know this, but this whole notion of the romantic relationship between the radical mining community and the brass band was dramatised in the popular film Brass Doff, a kind of almost unwatchably sentimental version of it. But uh, it is, but interesting, Brass Doff is an interesting cultural artefact in our culture because it's one of the sort of, it's one of the examples of the way in which can, modern I say modern, maybe postmodern, sort of 21st century British culture has sort of processed the trauma of the destruction of the mining communities. Brastoff and Billy Elliot. I was going to say Billy Elliot. I was just trying to remember though, because I, I, yeah, I was trying to remember if, the, the role of the brass bands in Billy Elliot, but I was pretty sure there was something. Yeah, I don't remember. It's, those, yeah. well, the two, it's very hard to separate the two films in one's memory, but they're sort of the same film, basically. Anyway, Good. we should move on. Yeah, we should okay. move on. Okay, so so, so what, gimmick, what gimmick have you got for us, then, Jim? 